Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis 15 how a shield stands in between a person and their enemy, defending them until death. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org and on iTunes. I want to thank you for your listenership and support of the Friendship with God radio program. To encourage you to support this radio program, for a $30 or more donation, we're offering you three Tom Cantor books all into one January resource compilation book. You can order that today by calling us now or after the program at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Three of Tom Cantor's most popular books, Frequently Asked Questions, Prophecy and Fulfillments, and His Own Life Story in one book. 1-800-247-3051 or go to friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's Tom Cantor with our teaching from Genesis 15. So God said to Abraham that he should stop and he should look at how God has been a shield to Abraham, and that should encourage Abraham. Now, from that perspective of facing the shield, Abraham could see something that he could not fully appreciate from his position of standing behind the shield. With all those scar marks, he looks at all those scar marks in the shield, Abraham could appreciate how the shield had protected him by virtue of the position of the shield in the battle. See, that's the issue. It's the issue of the position of the shield in the battle. It's because Abraham looks at the shield and imagines himself standing behind. So again, now, Abraham is looking at the shield and he's imagining himself standing behind the shield. Now, all those marks on the face of the shield, he could see the vital position of the shield in the battle, the vital position. And those words come to Abraham as he sees the position of the shield in the battle, and it's the words in between, in between. And Abraham's struck with this, and he sees a shield there, and he's looking from being just the shield of Abraham, not just the shield of Abraham that protected him, but now he sees, he saw in the shield that was to Abraham, he could see something he never appreciated before as he gets off and looks at it objectively and sees the shield to Abraham. By looking at the front of the shield and imagining that he's standing behind in the place where, and being protected, but he's standing in the place where the enemy was standing, he says, oh, I see it, I got it, Abraham says, I got it. This shield stood in between me and the enemy. And with that realization, Abraham has come to a new appreciation of the shield because now it's not just a shield that protected Abraham from the enemy. Now it's the shield that stood in between Abraham and the enemy. In fact, Abraham could see so clearly at the way the shield protected him. This is how the shield protected him. The shield protected him by standing in between Abraham and the enemy. And so now when Abraham hears God says, I am a shield to you, Abraham would say, I got it. I understand. God protects me from the enemy by being a shield that stands in between me and my enemies. And that's what God wants us to see. He wants us to see from that statement he made to Abraham, I am a shield to you that the way God protects us is that he stands in between us and the enemies. In fact, it's a wonderful title. It's a new title for God that we can give God that we should take away. We want to take away a, this is a takeaway message from today's lesson. And that's the title of God is our in-between God. 
That means God stands in between us and our enemies. And where have we seen God do this before? Where in the scriptures have we seen God stand in between to shield? And well, we see him as our in-between God when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Turn to this in John 18, 7 through 8. Because here, we're in the Garden of Gethsemane now, in John 18. And the Garden of Gethsemane where the officers have come now, and they've come to arrest him. And they've come to arrest his disciples as well. And the Lord Jesus is there. And he's the shepherd and the disciple of the sheep. And so he is the in-between shepherd, as the in-between God. We see him move in here. And what happens is that when the officers are stepping in to arrest him and the disciples, he steps in between in John 18, 7. And it says, then asked he them again, whom seek ye? Of course they were seeking him. And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If there you seek me, let these go their way. See what he did? He stepped in between them. In between them, the enemy and his disciples, and he said, let these go away. You just want me. Take me. Let these go away. That's a picture of our God as the in-between God. He protected his disciples from being arrested by being a shield and stepping in between them and the officers. Now, another place we see God as the in-between God is very interesting. You might want to turn to this now, Exodus 14, 19. Exodus chapter 14, 19. Because in this place of seeing our in-between God at work is when the children of Israel, they've left Egypt. Pharaoh and his army are chasing them down. They're in hot pursuit after them. And it's very interesting to watch the position of God in this sequence of events that happens here. It's going in a rather rapid succession, but it's ascribed to us how God changes his position And the pursuit, and it starts in verse 19, Exodus 14, 19. And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel. Now, don't be confused when it says the angel of God, because we're going to find that the angel of God is going to move position, and then the angel of God is going to be called the Lord. So think of him as the Lord. The angel of God, which went before the camp, removed and went behind them. See, he went before the camp. And then he removed and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. So God, who's called here the angel of God, moves from before the camp where the pillar is, and then it comes to behind the camp. And it came between, it says in verse 20, it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all the night. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back with a strong wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea. So they didn't even stop. The Egyptians, they said, well, go chase them, go chase them down. But captain, this is the Red Sea. It's just dry. It doesn't matter. Go after them. So they went after them into the midst of the sea. Even all, it was not just a part, but it was all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning watch that the Lord looked unto the hosts of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire of the cloud. So the Lord is in the pillar of fire, which is moved from the before the camp to the end of the camp, and he sticks his head out, so to speak, and he troubles the Egyptians and took off their chariot wheels. They drove them heavily so that the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. So you see these words. We say we have the angel of God. He's the Lord because he's called the Lord later. And that means the first, he, the, the children of Israel leaving, they need direction. Where do we go? So he's in front and he's showing them, you know, we're going this way, we're going that way. They're following like a shepherd is leading his sheep. 
And then all of a sudden, what happens? Pharaoh and his army are getting closer. They're chasing him down, and they're getting closer. And then notice the angel, as we saw here, the angel of God. God, he changes positions. He was the one who went before them. Now he removes and he goes behind. And as the danger approaches even closer, then we see that he speaks about being in between. He's the shield in between them and their enemies. And they start to cross the Red Sea and they're getting closer and closer and they're hoping for their enemies are licking their chops, hoping for a great slaughter. And then it says that God, he sticks his head out of this pillar and he puts his face out there in this position of being in between. And it says there, the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and the cloud. And he's in between now and his face is in between. And the Lord Jesus, in essence, in that place, as he sticks out of the pillar, his head out of the pillar of fire, he's in essence saying to the Egyptians, over my dead body. In other words, he's saying, you'll have to go through me to get to them. That's our God. Our God is a shield that's the in-between God. And so interesting for us from what we see here about him looking out in the pillar of fire and defying the enemies who are our enemies like that, when we understand that. And our greatest enemy for mankind are not Pharaoh and his army. It's the enemy of death. It's the enemy of the grave. And in this case, look in Hosea chapter 13, verse 14. Hosea 13, 14, where he, same thing happens here. He inserts himself in that shield position in between us and death. And as it says in Hosea 13, 14, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. So there was the power of death, just like the Egyptian army, pursuing hot on our trail, hot after us, with an eternal grave chasing us down. And our great in-between God inserts himself like the shield right in between us, death and the grave, and it's chasing us. And like a shield in between us, with death that's on our heels, just like he did in the pillar of cloud, he sticks his face out to death, makes it very, very personal, calls death by its name. Oh, death, he calls out, oh, death, I will be thy plagues. He calls the enemy by his, play, by his name. In essence, he's saying, hey, death, I'm your new opponent. You've been plaguing my people. Meet your new plague. He says, hey, death, I will be your plagues. And like a shield, from in be- he comes in between. He asserts himself in between the grave, and he turns back to the grave, and he's facing the grave, and he calls grave by his name, and he says, oh, grave, I will be thy destruction. So he calls it by the name. In other words, he's saying, hey, grave, I'm your new opponent. You've been destroying my people. Meet your new destruction. Oh, grave, I will be thy destruction. So this facet of the Lord Jesus Christ being like a shield is our in-between God is exactly what Isaiah 53 is all about. Because Isaiah 53 describes how the Lord Jesus Christ is our shielding in-between God. He got in-between. When it says in Isaiah 53, 6, that all we like sheep have gone astray and we've turned everyone to his own way, that's speaking of what we deserve. That's our crime sheet. That's what we were guilty of. That's our indictment. We were like sheep going astray. We went turned everyone to his own way. That's the iniquity that is referred to there that the Lord laid on him. But that verse means we deserved the wrath and punishment of God. 
So therefore, when it says in Isaiah 53, 5, that he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement our peace is upon him and with his stripes were healed, it means that the Father lifted up his rod to wound us for our transgressions and to bruise us for our iniquities. But the Lord Jesus Christ stepped in between as a shield and because he inserted himself like a shield in between us, What happened? The rod fell on him. Because he stepped in between us as a shield, between us and that rod, he ended up being wounded for our transgressions. Because he stepped in between like a shield between us and the rod, he ended up being bruised for our iniquities. So when it says in Isaiah 53, 4, that surely he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, and we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted, it means that those were our griefs, those were our sorrows, and they were the consequences of our sins. But because, like a shield, he inserted himself in between us and the penalty for our sins, he ended up bearing our griefs. And because he inserted himself like a shield in between us and the penalty for our sins, he ended up carrying our sorrows. So when it says in Isaiah 53, 8, that he was taken from prison and taken from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people as he stricken. It means that we deserved to be cut off out of the land of the living. And we deserved to be stricken. But because like a shield, he inserted himself in between us and that blow, he ended up being cut off instead of us out of the land of the living. And then when it goes on to says, for the transgression of my people when was he stricken, it means that God the Father saw so clearly what the Lord Jesus stepping in between like a shield for us, the blow, that God the Father couldn't stand it any longer. He couldn't remain silent any longer. So he says, I'm going to make a commentary about what I'm seeing right now. It's for the transgression of my people that he was stricken. So the last five words of Isaiah 53, they sum this all up of how the Lord Jesus Christ was our shield. And he stepped in between us and the wrath of God. And the words are, he made intercession for the transgressors. He made intercession. That's really what intercession is. Intercession is being the shield that steps in between a rebellious man and an angry God. That's what he did. Tom, today you talked about how God was a shield to Abraham and to those who are saved by stepping in to save them from the wrath of God and shielding them and making intercession. Now, many want God to bring them to heaven, but they don't want to come to the Lord Jesus Christ as God. So can a person come to God to get a hold of heaven without coming to Jesus as God? Oh, yeah, that's a very good question. And there are so many, especially among the Jewish people, who want to get to heaven, and they're okay with coming to God to get to heaven, but they're not okay with coming to Jesus as God to get to heaven. You know, the verse that tells us so clearly that we, that there, that, that there is a heaven and there is a place of God's house is the famous Psalm 23, where the last verse says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
So there you see there is a house of the Lord, and it's possible, as David said, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But the question is, how do we get to that house of the Lord forever? And what is the house of the Lord? And so what we know now from John 14 is that the Lord Jesus Christ made it so clear for us when he described that house, that house of the Lord, as his Father's house. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. So what he's saying here by way of the principle is that that heaven is a place where he is, where he is, and he describes that to go to heaven is to want to be with him, because he says that where I am, there ye may be also. Heaven is a place that is prepared for those who want to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. He said in John 5, 39 through 40, search the scriptures for in them ye think ye have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me and ye will not come to me that ye might have life. What's he saying here? He's saying that if you take the Bible in and of itself and you think that you can find eternal life in the Bible without the Lord Jesus Christ, the person who thinks that is terribly wrong because he says the scriptures, the scriptures are those that testify of the Lord Jesus Christ. They reveal the Lord Jesus Christ. They disclose him. And then he says that the scriptures, therefore, showing who he is, give the means by way we can come to him. So he says, if you will not come to him through the scriptures, you won't have life. And that's what he meant when he says, and you will not come to me that you might have life. And then he said in John 14, 6, speaking about heaven, speaking about the way to heaven, speaking about the truth, about how to get to heaven, speaking about the eternal life that is in heaven. He says, and Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In other words, no lost Jewish person, no lost Muslim person, no lost Buddhist person, no lost animist person, no man comes to the Father. And of course, the the Father is what we've been talking about here when we speak about the Father's house and the house of the Lord forever. No man comes unto the Father but by the Lord Jesus Christ. He is central. He is central. This is what Paul meant when he said in Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So we are not right with God. We are not in sync with heaven unless in all things we see the Lord Jesus Christ as having the preeminence, as having the central stage, as having the focus on him. This is what God meant when he said in Psalm 2.6 that he said, yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Who is that king that he set upon his holy hill of Zion? 
That king is the one who was on a cross who had for his title over his head the king of the Jews. And where was that title made? That was on a holy hill of Zion. And what was the name of that holy hill of Zion? It was called Calvary. That holy hill in Jerusalem, that holy hill of Zion was Calvary. And so what happens here is when he says, I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion, it's referring back to Isaiah 53, where it says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And when he was on that cross, it was the father who was bruising him. And when Pilate put the sign over him that says the king of the Jews, and what the the, the Jewish people then revolted against, and they said, no, say that he said he was the king of the Jews. But then Pilate said, no, what I have written, I have written, and it's going to stand this way, the king of the Jews. And really, it was written in heaven, the king of the Jews, because this was God setting his king upon his holy hill of Zion. And what is so remarkable about that is that the holy, the, the king on the holy hill of Zion was dying for his subjects, was cleansing them of their sins, was making them, translating them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, was taking their destination and crossing out where it said hell and writing instead heaven. That's the king. That's the leader. And that's the king that God set upon his holy hill of Zion to save his people from their sins. And so then in the same Psalm, in Psalm 2, he goes on and he says, now there's something that you must do. See, in Psalm Psalm 2, verse 6, it's what God did. I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. But in verse 12, it switches and says what you must do, what I must do, what everybody must do, and what must we do? Kiss the son, it says in verse 12. Kiss the son. Why? Lest he be angry and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. So what he's saying here is that our responsibility and who it is that goes to heaven is those that kiss the Lord Jesus Christ, that kiss the Son, do him homage, do him worship, and they put their trust in him. Trust that we will not be judged for our sins because he died for our sins. Trust as the family trusted in the Passover blood that they put on the doorpost of the house during the Pesach, and therefore they trusted in that blood that when God said when he sees the blood, he would pass over, so they trusted in the blood, so that we trust in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we will not die in our sins, we will not be judged for our sins, that we will not not perish because of our sins, that it's not our works that will save us from hell, but it's his blood and his blood alone, as he said, that the blood, the life of the flesh is in the blood from Leviticus 17:11, and he's given to us upon the altar because it's the blood that makes an atonement for the sin. And when we trust in the blood, when we trust in his blood, we worship him as God, kiss the son, then we go to heaven. Now, he also, it says in that Psalm 2, verse 12, is that there's a wrath involved because if he says, uh, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled, but a little. And that wrath is spoken about in Revelation 6, 16, where it says, and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. You see, there we have it from Psalm 2, verse 6. He's sitting there. I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion, sitting now at the right hand of God. 
And then it says that he, ha- that he has a wrath, the wrath of the Lamb. That's referred to in verse 12 of Psalm 2 when it says his wrath is kindled but a little. But to get in sync with heaven, to be ready for heaven, to be a person that God will then put in heaven is to be in sync with, with a scene that we see in heaven, which is in Revelation 5.12, where we see that, there are, that, that, that all of heaven is saying with a loud voice, worthy, so that's what they call him, worthy is the lamb, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, that was slain to receive power. So think of these words now. They're saying, worthy is him. And those who go to heaven say on earth, he is worthy. And we say, yes, he should receive all power as he has riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then it says, and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And then the four beasts that were there said, Amen, and worshiped him that liveth forever and ever. So to be in the place where all this is going on, where the Lord Jesus Christ is central, where there's such a strong worship of him, speaking of him as having, yes, 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 he and he should have all the power and the riches and the wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing, and which everyone will say, whether they're in hell or where they're in heaven, they will say that when they see it. But to say it now, to surrender the heart to him now, to worship him now, is to be the one in whom the Father is pleased and will bring to heaven to be with him. So is it possible to go to heaven without the Lord Jesus Christ? No, it's not, according to the Bible. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. Now, if you have a lost Jewish friend that you'd like to reach with the gospel, Israel Restoration Ministries provides free gospel gifts from Tom Cantor, His Life Story, on DVD and a booklet form for you to witness to your lost Jewish friend. To receive this free gift, go to friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, fill out the online gift form. We'll send that to you, or call us at 1-800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051. We're continuing to offer the January resource three Tom Cantor books in one January resource compilation book. You can receive that for a donation of $30 or more. It's tax deductible, and you're supporting Jewish evangelism with each donation. 1-800-247-3051 to get that book. 1-800-247-3051. Three books into one from Tom Cantor. Get this resource while we have supplies, or go to friendshipwithgod.org to order it online. Thanks for listening, and join us again tomorrow at the same time.